It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. Ishvara. What is Ishvara as it relates to Kriya Yoga practice? We always need to remember the definition of Kriya Yoga in Chapter 2 of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Kriya Yoga is defined as tapas, svadhyaya, and ishvara, surrender, and ishvara. And when we consider what that term ishvara means, it's often translated as God, although that doesn't seem quite accurate, considering that the term God itself did not come around in common usage until around 600 AD. And we know that the Yoga Sutras are much older than that. In Yogananda's lessons, when he discusses this idea of surrender and Ishvara, he essentially substitutes Om for Ishvara. And there's a very good reason for that. But when we explore Ishvara from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, that term implies the omniscient self, the infinite, the teacher, the seer, and some do translate it as God within or the God within. And we also have the word surrender. And surrender, again, gives a connotation that might not be quite accurate. Another way of looking at the term surrender, as it applies to Ishvara in the definition of Kriya Yoga, is that of perfect aligning of attention with this infinite, omniscient self within. And essentially, it is through Kriya Yoga practice that we learn how to do that. Although, really, any authentic spiritual path will, will give this result, although they might use different words or different terminology. Now, this term Ishvara pops up quite a few times within the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which, as you know, is a prime text uh, for Kriya Yogis. In Chapter 1, verse 23, we can read the Sanskrit. Ishvara Pranidhanadva. Ishvara Pranidhanadva. What does this mean? Well, we have the word Ishvara in there. We also again have that term, which indicates a perfect aligning of attention with Ishvara. And this follows verse 22, which is describing how the fulfillment of yoga or the experience of samadhi um, occurs 
related to the intensity of one's practice. And that intensity can be mild, moderate, or extreme. And the greater the intensity, the greater the nearness of experiencing samadhi. So this is, in a sense, what verse 22 reads in chapter 1. But then we go to 23, and it says, or, or, there can be a nearness of this experience of samadhi, of clarity, because of perfect alignment of attention with Ishvara. So we can see, essentially, two routes here. You can have intensity in your spiritual practice, or you can work to align your attention with Ishvara. And really, they go together. They're not, they're not separate. Because as you continue your meditation practice, you naturally start to develop, if this is your intention with meditation, you naturally start to develop the capacity to feel this seer within, this omniscient infinite consciousness within. Now, Ishvara is the distinction of the self which is untouched by karma and the fruits of karmas. It's the distinction from that self which is free and untouched by karma. Between that and root causes of pain or attachment to the changing phenomena of the world. This is a bit of an oversimplification. Um, it helps to go into a deeper study of the Yoga Sutras to get the full scope of this. But I'm really just trying to focus on uh, getting insights into Ishvara and what Ishvara is. And so in chapter 1, verse 24, we have another phrase that tells you what Ishvara is. And again, this is telling us that Ishvara is the distinction between that self which is untouched by the accumulations and the fruition of karma and the root causes of pain. And in Ishvara, omniscience is unsurpassed. So omniscience is unsurpassed. Omniscience, knowing everything, all-knowingness. the more we meditate and the more we're able to turn our awareness within and abide as the witness, we start to touch this experience of omniscience. Sometimes it happens in a flash. Sometimes it happens in a moment. Sometimes it happens even when we're not meditating. But as long as we are engaged in a regular meditation practice and we are engaged in those activities which support an active, dynamic, alert, alive meditation practice, we will keep coming closer and closer to this experience of omniscience. And it's said that Ishvara is unlimited by time, and so therefore also the teacher of the ancients. And that Om is the expression of Ishvara, the pranava, the primary sound frequency of creation, and this is why there's such an emphasis on listening to the Om vibration in the Yoga Sutras as well in 
Swami Sri Yukteswar's work, The Holy Science. And this is also why when Yogananda talked about the definition of Kriya Yoga and he talked about surrender or perfect alignment of attention with Ishvara, he said it was surrender and Om or the experience of Om. And Om being the expression of Ishvara, by listening to Om, by meditating on Om, by chanting Om, what this does is it puts us in direct contact with this presence of Ishvara, with this infinite, omniscient intelligence, because Ishvara is also uh, translated sometimes as the Lord of the universe. And again, these are using more archaic kinds of terminology. Uh, these days, the Lord of the universe might be considered as that subtle power or that creative intelligence, which makes all life possible, which makes it even, uh, gives us even the capacity to sit here and, and speak and to listen and to contemplate these things. It's beyond comprehension, but there is something which has made all of this possible. And through yoga, what we're told and taught is that by learning to focus on direct our attention towards Om, we are, again, touching that presence, that raw power of omniscience. Now, we might not comprehend it completely, but we're, we're putting ourselves in alignment with it. And you can think of it in a way like the sun. The sun shines the sun radiates, the sun has light, and the sun has heat. And when you are in the sun, and you are, and in the sun I mean standing outside, feeling the sunlight, feeling the heat, feeling the radiation from the sun, you are connected to the sun. Because there is no separation between the sun up in the sky as you perceive it as a separate uh, object or being, and what comes forth from the sun. Now, in the same way that when you begin to contemplate Om and you hear that sound, that's like basking in the light of the sun. You are not in space, in the core of the sun, absorbed in the ball of fire and light that you typically associate to be the sun. That would be like having a direct experience of the sun close to its heart. But when you're here on earth and you feel the light, when you feel the heat, when you feel the radiation, you are within the field of the sun. The same is true with this idea of um, aligning your attention with Ishvara by chanting Om and contemplating Om. Om is the vibration of creation. Everything is made of this vibration or participates in this vibration of creation. You don't have to be religious or spiritual to have a feeling or an understanding of this. And when you begin to contemplate that inner sound, or you begin to chant Om, or you begin to feel the vibration of the life force within the body, the pranava, you are beginning, in a sense, the journey to a direct experience of Ishvara. Now, the beautiful thing about chanting Om and contemplating Om is that by doing so, you draw yourself closer to the heart 
of the direct experience of Ishvara. In that practice, you are, in a sense, redirecting your awareness back to the heart and the core of Ishvara through the pathway of Om. And it would be as if by sitting outside and, and absorbing the sunlight and appreciating the sunlight, your body was slowly being lifted off the ground and carried through space to be absorbed into the body of the sun as you know it. Um, but this is, that doesn't work with the sun, but it does work from this spiritual perspective. So we only want to take these comparisons so far for the purpose of instruction. And so how do you how do you align your awareness with Ishvara? Well, many people have interpreted this to mean that um, you give up control of your life. And this comes along the lines of um, the idea of surrendering in God. When you translate uh, Ishvara Pranidhana <clears throat> with surrender in God, well, that's one way you can look at it. But if we look at it from a more yogic perspective, this idea of aligning your attention with this omniscient seer within, well, you begin doing that by contemplating Om, listening to Om. And that alone is going to start pulling you into alignment with this experience. And you don't have to do it all the time. You just have to spend a little bit each day in meditation, chanting Om, contemplating Om, going into the depth of Om. And then what naturally starts to happen is you begin to experience yourself not as a limited, small personality that was born and that will die. You begin to experience yourself as a intangible infinite presence which has existed and persisted through every moment of your life. So when you were a child, you have memories of that. There was this internal witness which was aware of those moments and those experiences. And, and they were, that witness was untouched by those experiences. When you got older, and you were driving your car somewhere as a teenager, or you went to the first day of your first job, or you got married, or you overcame an illness, or you spent some time in the woods. Every situation you were in, there was this presence, this witness, which allowed you to have this experience. It really, the witness is you. And the more you meditate and the more you again engage in those practices which support a healthy meditation practice, and the more you are able to sink your awareness in Om, in meditation, you are aligning your awareness with Ishvara, and by doing so, you are beginning to recognize that you are this infinite intelligence, this infinite awareness, which has been present through every experience. Now, there's a lot that could be said about the idea that um, Ishvara is the self untouched by the accumulations and fruitions of karma. We'll just spend a little bit of time on it. And what does that mean? Um, essentially, 
what you come to realize is that when you begin to develop the capacity to exist as the seer and the witness, and you remember that terrible time that you had when you were a child, and you, you recognize you were the seer, you were the witness of that. The body and the mind went through the difficult experience, but there was the seer, you, which was able to experience that. You begin to recognize that that seer, that witness, was actually untouched by that experience. The body and the mind went through an experience, but the real you that persisted through it was not touched by it. When you have immense good fortune and all kinds of good things come your way and you are the witness of it and you recognize that it is a, a passing experience, well, then you start to see that the fruition of that good karma, that happened to the body, that happened to your life experience, that happened to the realm of your personality. But that which was able to observe that, which was the exact same presence, which is which observed the traumatic experience as a child, when you start to see and you start to reflect upon each of these experiences and recognize there was some aspect of you which really didn't change no matter the adversity and no matter the great fortune that you had. Well, that is stepping back into this experience of Ishvara, and that is beginning to recognize that Ishvara, the self, the Purusha, is untouched by what happens. Um, in the Bhagavad Gita, there are statements that say, you know, the, the soul, the, the infinite aspect of you cannot be wetted by water, burnt by fire, um, cannot be killed, cannot be slain, and so on. What's being described there? What's being described is this, this witnessing presence which persists throughout the entirety of your life and beyond. That cannot be hurt, harmed, or uplifted, or made better. This is not really easy stuff to get your head around, or your mind around. And this is where a lot of people get tripped up, especially when they study texts like the Yoga Sutras or other spiritual texts. They want to think about this a lot. And they might come to a mental conclusion about it, which is great. I mean, it's wonderful to have some, some ideas about it. It helps to inspire you and it helps to pull you forward on your path. But ultimately, uh, the idea of Ishvara and the experience of Ishvara can't be thought about. It has to be directly experienced, just like the deeper practices of yoga. You can't talk about them all the time. You have to actually engage in the practice to experience the result of it. So, you can't talk about this stuff a lot. You actually have to do the things which give you the direct experience. And what gives you the direct experience of this? Well, learning how to meditate well. Because the better you meditate, the calmer your nervous system will be, the more poised your mind and consciousness will be, and the more alert you can be to actually appreciate these subtle states of consciousness and to be able to withdraw back to experience this idea and this this reality of the witness. In some Christian mysticism, uh, this is described as that still small voice within, that still small voice within, the voice of God or the voice of the Lord. And it's not a voice like, like you would hear my voice talking in your head or, or some other voice talking in your head. That idea of the still small voice is is 
pointing out that there is a subtlety of experience which you have to make yourself very quiet inside in order to be able to perceive because the noise of the world and the noise of your thoughts and the noise of all the distractions that you give your attention to will overpower that. And that brings us to this idea of, of aligning your attention with Ishvara. You have to do things which align your attention with Ishvara. And one of those is meditation. But also, you have to practice the yamas and niyamas of yoga. You have to learn to abide in an asana, which is stable and comfortable, which gives your consciousness the ability to be free, to experience these inner states. You engage in pranayama, again, to balance the nervous system and the energetic system of the body and to balance the mind so that it calms down, so that it becomes like a, a still lake or a body of water. And when the lake becomes still, when the mind becomes still, then you can see the light of the moon reflecting off of it. Because when there are ripples and when there's wind blowing, and those are like all of our thoughts and all of our attachments and all the things that we think are so important, we can't see the reflection of the moon or the reflection of the stars within the sky on the surface of the lake. So by practicing the eight limbs of yoga, you are stilling your consciousness, your chitta, which makes it easier to perceive that still small voice within, using the Christian mystic terminology. But you're also able to reflect upon and hear that sound vibration of Om. And you are also able to then appreciate that there is an aspect of yourself, an internal timeless aspect of yourself, which is the witnessing consciousness or the seer or the self, and the more you are able to have that experience, the more you are aligning your attention with Ishvara. And again, we're doing our best to use words to describe this, but this is something that occurs naturally as you practice Kriya Yoga, as you practice the Yamas, the Niyamas, Asana, Pranayama, Pratyahara, internalization of attention. And it becomes even more apparent as you begin to move into the inner limbs of yoga, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi, uh, sanyama practice, the ability to um, direct chitta or your consciousness to an ideal, namely in this case, om, or the self or the seer, and to abide there in that space of the seer, which brings us back to the definition of yoga itself, not Kriya Yoga so much, but when it talks about yoga at the beginning of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, there is the statement that yoga is the ending of the fluctuations and changes within our consciousness. And again, when those fluctuations and changes subside, then the light of spirit, if you want to use that term, Ishvara, Om, the still small voice within, reveals itself. Just like the ripples on the lake where the water becomes still, and then you can see the starlight, and you can see the moon reflected upon it. And once you do that, you can look at the, the moon and the starlight in the lake, and you see what's there, and eventually you're able to just look up straight at the, the moon and the stars and see them for what they are. So the whole process of yoga is learning how to do this. 
and understanding um, the term Ishvara, what it represents, what it means, and why it's important to the experience of yoga uh, can help to inspire that process. We have to remember that the alignment of attention with Ishvara is one of the three pillars of Kriya Yoga. Tapas being one, and tapas means intensity in spiritual practice, which helps to purify and strengthen um, the bodies that we exist in. Svadhyaya, which deals with self-study, the study of the self, both the infinite immortal self, as well as your unique expression within this world, as well as studying sacred teachings that allow you to understand the process, such as the Yoga Sutras and the Bhagavad Gita and the Holy Science. But this aligning of attention with Ishvara is one of those three pillars. And in chapter 2, verse 45 of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, there is a statement, a sutra, that by the perfect cognitive absorption or the perfect samadhi, due to aligning of attention with Ishvara or the omniscient seer within, this is how we wake up finally. This is how we move from a small, limited person, or that we think we're a small, limited person, to kaivalya, or freedom. Samadhi, Siddhir, Ishvara, Pranidhanat. So this is saying that perfect cognitive absorption occurs, and perfect cognitive absorption means samadhi occurs due to the perfect alignment of attention with the seer within. And so this is, as I've mentioned again and again, one of the three primary pillars of Kriya Yoga practice. And so if we're not considering this and we're not engaging this, we're not practicing fully. And there are different variations, or I don't want to use the word levels because it's not an up or a down thing. There are different um, layers, maybe, of the practice. And we have to remember that as long as we are intending to align our attention with Ishvara and we're trying our best as we know how at this time, we are engaging the practice. And we're doing what we need to do. And so for some people, it might mean that after you practice mantra or chanting through the chakras or Kriya Pranayama, you simply spend some time observing the body. And if the mind and consciousness is still and the room is quiet, you listen to the sound beneath the silence, which sometimes is simply the sound of your nervous system. And you let your awareness rest on that consciously and actively. And conscious and active are important terms because it's very easy to flow into a semi-conscious or passive state as you do this. You have to be curious about it, interested in it, noticing the changes as they go. Just like if you were outside staring up at the sky and the clouds were changing. You want to be 
watching the clouds and watching the changes and curious as you see each cloud morph into something else. You're there. You're present. Well, the same is true as you feel the body and listen to that sound within the silence. It's going to be continuous sometimes, and sometimes it'll slightly shift and change and rise and fall. And the way that you you meditate on it is to continue to absorb your awareness in it from one moment to the absolute next moment. It's as though you're riding a wave. And in order to ride the wave, you have to stay right on the edge of where um, you're able to remain upright and keep being propelled forward. If you lose that, you're going to fall off. So the same is true for this ability to appreciate the vibration of the pranava, which is om, which is an indication of Ishvara. It could also be that you chant om out loud. You simply tone om again and again, because that in itself is a form of pranayama. Because when you chant om and you inhale usually more rapidly than you would at other times, and then you let that om out and you let it resonate through your body and then you close your lips and you let that sound resonate up into your nasal passages, you are breathing out longer than you are breathing in. And many effective pranayama practices utilize this technique. And there's all kinds of benefits with chanting om. Humming itself has a profound benefit on the system. And so if you can't hear anything in the silence, some people can't. They eventually will, but they might not be able to for a while. You can spend time chanting Om out loud and you let your awareness roll and ride with the vibration as it, as it moves through your body in the same way that you ride a wave. You don't do it mechanically where you're just trying to, to get as many Ohms out as you can. With each Om, it's as though each one is a new rising of consciousness and you are interested in what that feels like how is that different how does it move how does it sound within you so you ride from moment to moment that that present awareness of om from the beginning of the inhale to the moment you make the sound to the sense of feeling it resonate through your chest to when you close your lips together and you feel that vibration uh, up into you feel that humming and that vibration up into your uh, forehead and, and nasal passages. You, you follow, you remain interested and curious in every single step of that process. And this is another way of uh, attuning, align, aligning attention with Ishvara. And we're speaking specifically here of meditation practices, uh, but these are useful ways of doing it. And then in time, as you become stiller and calmer, and as the fluctuations and changes within your consciousness become less and less, you can then begin to appreciate that witnessing seer, which is aware of every change, every rise and fall within the natural world. And every now and then you catch a glimpse and you recognize, oh, the real me is this eternal presence which persists through all of these changes. And in time, you, you are able to then abide in that state. And that's a good place to be. 
and then you're ready for uh, even even more subtle work, even more nuanced work, internal work. Because once you begin to have that experience, it becomes very easy to practice pratyahara, directing your awareness within, letting go of distractions. And those are distractions in your immediate environment, as well as distractions of the mind and distractions of the emotions and distractions of memory and distractions of concepts and distractions of thinking, it becomes easy to direct your awareness within. But all of this takes time. And it happens over a long period of time because most of us, in fact, almost all of us, that's why we've even been born in the first place, the direction of our consciousness is outward, outward to the physical world, outward to uh, the world of the elements. And... What we're learning to do with yoga is to certainly appreciate the experience of the world, but in our meditation, we're learning to become a little more um, dynamic or a little more um, adaptable because now we're learning that we can actually direct our energies inward too. We can follow it back to the source of creation. So we're becoming more adaptable in that we're just not caught up in the senses. We can certainly function within the senses, and being able to function within this physical world of nature, believe it or not, is uh, necessary and part of this whole experience. But we want to become well-rounded, and we want, to, we want to become balanced. And so we also have to learn how to direct our awareness within, which is the purpose of yoga, the eight limbs of yoga, of Kriya Yoga, of Vyamas, Niyamas, Asana, Pranayama, Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. And that helps to give fulfillment to our soul, fulfillment to our life, because it, in a sense, reveals to us the connection of our life with the infinite. And so everything becomes fulfilled. Our unique individual expression in life as well as our bigger mission, which is the mission of all souls everywhere, which is to recognize and awaken to their reality as spirit. And all this rests upon exploring, developing, and understanding of what it means to be surrendered in God, as some say, or to be surrendered in Om, or to experience Om or to perfectly align your attention with this infinite, immortal, omniscient presence which permeates everything, this intelligence which makes all of this possible. It makes the inner work possible, the inner realities possible. It organizes the crystalline structure of the rocks across the planet. It beats the hearts of countless beings. It refines the nervous systems of creatures all over the place. It controls the plasma that flows through the universe. It does all of this. That's big. And part of our role here in this life as a human being is to begin to become comfortable with that and to have a direct experience of it without becoming goofy. And that was a term that Mr. Davis would all often used because sometimes when people got involved in spiritual practices, they started to get a little goofy. And um, you can do this without getting goofy. It's really about growing up. 
And if you ever decide or feel that you're getting a little goofy, usually it's because um, there might be some mental or emotional or psychological stuff you need to, to clear up and address, uh, which is common to everyone. So it's best to do that ahead of time. But anyway, as you practice meditation, see or contemplate how you can work in these ideas of Ishvara as they're described in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Or simply don't worry about it and just chant Om and contemplate Om and rest your awareness in Om and follow that, staying alert and alive and dynamic with it, and then just see what happens. That's often enough. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.